What is population health? Why do some people become sick while others don't? How do we study and what can we do to eliminate health inequities? Sick Individuals, Sick Populations, the new podcast series from the Interdisciplinary Association of Population Health Science covers these topics and more. Join us. Aresha Martinez Cardoso from the University of Chicago. Mike Esposito from Washington University in St. Louis. Daryl Hudson, also from Washington University in St. Louis. Twice a month as we discuss cutting edge population health research with scholars working across disciplinary boundaries. All right, welcome back to another episode of IPHS, Sick Individual Sick Populations. And so when I was a kid, um, a very nerdy thing that I like to do was um, when my favorite television show or cartoon have a crossover episode, imagine like if you're a child of the 80s, Voltron crossing over with Transformers or something like that. So in a much nerdier way, um, today we're, we're hoping to do a crossover, crossover episode and think about some of the things that we talk about on our podcast and talk about it with a sister podcast of us, Epi Counts. Um, that one of the official podcasts for the Society for Epidemiologic Research. And we're going to be talking about all things population health. So we're really happy to be joined today with one of the two EpiCounts podcast hosts, Gassan Hamra. Um, Gassan is Assistant Professor of Epidemiology at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, specializing in environmental and occupational health research. He aims to improve population health by identifying agents that cause disease and can be removed from our environment. There's a much longer bio that I can go on on about, but he's an outstanding, very intelligent guy. So thank you so much for making the time and joining us today. Yeah, happy to. Although I will point out it is three against one here. So I'm a little concerned <laughs> about-, about we'll go easy on this, you. <laughs> if this comes down to population health versus epi in the end, I, I, I don't have a chance. We stacked it this way on purpose. So <laughs> glad you realized early. <laughs> So um, we're, we're friendly here. Um, so okay. when we were first discussing this episode, we had a bunch of different ideas. And it sounded like a really nerdy jam session would occur. And one of the first things we talked about was simply defining what our fields are, are considering the breadth of the field and how much overlap there is. We also talked about comparing and contrasting different aspects of the field. So with that, let's just jump in. So Mike, I think you have a, a question to start us off. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. So, you know, we're living through unusual times um, during the pandemic, especially there's been, uh, I think, like new exposure to kind of like terms among the populace, like population health or epidemiology or public health, uh, to the point that um, I think a lot of people are kind of claiming to be these sorts of things on Twitter. I've got an uncle, for instance, who like really thinks of himself as an epidemiologist. He's not, he's not, and never listens to him for medical advice. But those terms have kind of made it out in the world in that kind of like a way that I don't think they ever have before. So like with that in mind, I'm wondering if you can kind of like uh, kind of kick us off by telling us how you define what epidemiology is and what epidemiologists are. And then also just because, you know, we want to think about ourselves, how you would, uh, from your perspective, you would uh, kind of define population health as well. Yeah, I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I feel like with epidemiology, 
<laughs> the definition of the field just depends on which textbook you pick up on the day you're trying to define it because so many people have kind of these slightly nuanced ways of defining it and generally they suggest the same thing I think but oftentimes I feel like impressions of the differences in understanding of what epidemiology is kind of come out so a lot of times there'll be this kind of and I'm, I'm just gonna in my head pit I, I kind of have two camps and I think one is further away from population health and one is closer so the one that's further away is the one where you say epidemiology is about figuring out risk factors for disease I find that definition to be very oriented toward biomedical thinking so thinking about like what is this thing that causes this thing and I feel that that when you think about epidemiology that way it's very narrow and focused which is not always a bad thing it certainly can be a good thing but I feel like it's very focused and it lends itself to questions about um, certain drugs and certain health outcomes and maybe more like RCT oriented thinking. Um, on the other side, there's the definition that's more along the lines of understanding the distribution and determinants of disease or health outcomes. And I think that one is kind of the more population health oriented side of it, where that focus on, on populations is kind of inherent in the definition. And it's less about a focus on determinants of health if that makes sense like it's it's less risk factor and more kind of what i guess people would couch as social epidemiology and maybe a little bit toward population health but that's kind of how i view it but yeah in in terms of that closeness to population health am i totally off the mark no i don't think so at all i mean indeed the title for our podcast, Sick Individuals, Sick Populations, kind of builds off a lot of the ideas that you just mentioned. So this idea of thinking about population level determinants of health. And when you think about etiology, like you say, you could think about a much more narrow, individualized RCT manner where you're thinking about, you know, manipulating one exposure, one risk factor, um, and seeing how that from a mechanistic perspective relates to a particular health outcome. And I think population health is trying to do something that's very difficult, which is try to figure out how does this broad set of determinants from a social, environmental, psychosocial factors, et cetera, how those things all coalesce to affect this broad set of population determinants. Yeah. I often think about it like who cares more about the left versus the right side of the equation. And I feel like epi people, I don't know. If you, okay, if we're thinking about an equation, every people really care about the right side of the equation, the health. They also care about the equal sign, like how to do it. And we really, I think as population health, people really care about, now I'm getting confused, the left side of the equation, which is the determinants, right? And like, and really, yeah, right. I think we move away from the risk, like even the word risk factor, like I was just writing a grant. Somebody was like, take risk factor out. We don't use risk factor. You know, like we we are really careful about what we think about as the the independent variables for sure. 
see this is all very helpful for me like coming from this from demography angle it just all seems like demography i don't know what epi is i don't know what like, population <laughs> health is it's all studying people and kind of like some whatever outcome you want to post on there whether it's biomedical some self-rated thing or whatever even if it's like one step removed from health like it's all it's all demography and sociology oh, yeah. to me yeah yeah six of one half dozen the other i mean right. it's, yeah it's it's I, I definitely think that if, and I think that one of the things that's happened since I've trained or or at least since I was in graduate school, I guess I'm always kind of training in some regard, is um there's been more of a call for epidemiology to be oriented toward the population health side of things. Like I didn't even know population health was a thing I, maybe it wasn't back when I graduated I, I genuinely can't remember but I, I I can recall hearing some announcement about the Harvard population health something and I'm like what the what is <laughs> epidemiology that's what we're trying to do right. what am I missing like yeah. it sounds like the same thing you just rebranded it why did you rebrand it it's just, it's just diff now I have to change yeah. all my like letterhead or something like that it was a pain in the butt more than anything else but it, I but I guess there's a rational reason for it because I mean I can see the the kind of the kind of demographic or demography aspects of things coming in more and which I think is actually super cool I I I, I think I think that there's kind of the clinical side of epidemiology which is that very risk factor focused side of it and then I think a lot of people are trying to orient themselves more toward that population health side of things. And then I think some people try to marry the two in a way that I don't think is necessarily makes a lot of sense all the time. But I think some people try to find that kind of like happy median somewhere, Wait, which maybe doesn't exist. I don't know. Marry yeah. the two, the clinical or the risk factor kind of epi and population health. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. 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 Like mid-level theories. Yeah, right. I mean, maybe they can't be, maybe they can't be reconciled easily, or maybe they can. I don't know. Go find some of these. <laughs> Y'all are opening up the world to me. Now. <laughs> um, so the other thing that I think I've noticed, like finishing training, is that people's academic homes also really changes what we call ourselves and also the flavor of our work. So we as health people, whether we call ourselves epi or population health, can sit in a lot of different spaces. So we can sit in schools of public health like you, Vassan. Um, I'm in a more clinical department and like baked inside of a med school. I think uh, uh, brightest too. Are, and then um, Mike, you're in the traditional classic sociology department of academia. You're the only true academic. Yes. Yes. He's giving us the, what is it like the Italian fingers? Like the, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you're the culture, right? That's and then Daryl is in this fun interdisciplinary space with like all sorts of different um, disciplines represented in one school over at the Brown School. So for you, Gasan, and maybe we can all like riff a little bit. How do you think your academic appointments have impacted the trajectory of your work, what you call yourself, if at all, or are you are you still calling yourself the same thing? I mean, I've always called myself an epidemiologist. I just I don't know what else I would call myself, honestly. Um, I've definitely always kind of leaned more toward the quantitative side of things. 
And I think that that's kind of getting back to that, you know, what is epidemiology versus what is population health, I think maybe a little bit more focused on quantitative, but, and I've always been in epidemiology kind of spaces. I mean, you know, I was at Drexel in the School of Public Health and in environmental occupational health department for a little while. And even there, people ask me what I do. I mean, I guess I could say I'm an environmental occupational health researcher, but I mean, if you want to be specific, I was just doing epidemiology. There wasn't anything, anything that would distinguish me from somebody in a department of, of epidemiology, except for maybe a little bit of a focus on kind of more of the exposure side of things, like exposure assessment questions. And that's kind of the only distinction. And that comes from my training in environmental health. I can remember one of my faculty members talking about how exposure assessment was the Achilles heel of epidemiology, which is a quote that I always uh, I always keep in mind and I think is horrifyingly accurate. It's uh, it's something that I don't think in as many people appreciate as they should. Um, but generally, I would say epidemiology through and through, but that's maybe it would change if I was in a medical school, but I doubt it. I'd probably, it would probably, if I were in a medical school, I think my focus would be much more clinical, obviously more of that risk factor side of things and much less of the, the kind of like bleeding over to population health side of it. But are you, are you guys all in population health departments specifically? Well, you're demography, right, Michael? So that's, um, that's kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you call yourself yeah. a sociologist or a demographer, Mike, or both? Or what do you what do you call yourself? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think identity crazy. Yeah, I've got therapy tomorrow to talk about this. Um, <laughs> it's it's I don't know. I feel like I feel like if you would have asked me that maybe five six years ago, we we're back in a time when sociology was like very kind of anxious about its own existence, and so there was like as we were sitting in our big top hats, like you said, in our very <laughs> official academic circles and having arguments like among ourselves, it was like, well, people are very kind of like strict about drawing kind of like boundaries between what was sociology and what was say demography or population health or something else like that. Um, but those, I think when we realized that if we kept having those conversations, like data scientists would just keep eating our lunch, uh, we've thrown those <laughs> things away, right? So I've, I, I called myself a demographer because it was like kind of born in that moment where it was kind of like, you know, a little verboten to say, I am a sociologist and then people could come at your life if you studied health. Um, but now it's uh, like, I, I would, you know, consider myself either sociologist or demographer because those lines are very blurred and population health fits in in the same way. We're just social scientists, I guess, is mm -hmm. the way I would describe it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's, so it's really funny because I, I, when people ask me about epidemiology, I'm like, it's a social science. Yeah. yeah. Uh, period. End of discussion. This is, it is a social science. And that is not a derogatory thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like, I feel like people really treat it that way. And that is so frustrating to me at times because I'm just like it's like it's observational data where we're kind of working with what we have and you know we can acknowledge its limitations but also acknowledge the the fundamental benefits of it and just have a discussion around that and, and make it 
it's just a better field in that way i think totally but yeah anybody who's like oh yeah we're biomedical but i'm like no we're really not <laughs> like not at all at least, at least not my 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 segment of epidemiology i think not at all sure that means a lot coming from you consider how quantitatively oriented you are and you do pay attention to the exposure assessment so that's that's uh that's a lot from you yeah Daryl, how do you call yourself? And I ask because we have the same PhD. But you yeah, know. I was hoping you would not <laughs> ask. Me me. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why I like IPHS is a is a meeting and an organization because I really don't know how to define myself. I mean, we have the same degree, obviously, Arisha, um, and it is not exactly what I do. Like our degree yeah. says health behavior and health, health education, education. I don't know anybody, yeah. what to do about that um so I think traditionally it's like intervention development which I know how to develop interventions I do that work sometimes but always been much more interested in social epidemiology um or population health however you describe that that level of analysis is what I've always been interested in but yeah, when I was in grad school, like I took a lot of sociology courses. I was that was my cognate. And so I always thought of myself as like my sociology faculty um, mentors will always say, you're just a sociologist playing in the department in the, the school of public health. Like you should come over and be a sociologist like us. Um, so I've always felt like conflicted about what to label myself from a very early stage. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. In my yeah. department when I started, we had these sort of classic or small department, like a baby school of public health for the department. And our core areas were epi, health services and biostats. And so they asked me when I started like, what do you want your like name placard to say? And I was like, I'm not a, I, I was like, I was like, I guess social epi, but I'm not like a card carrying social epidemiologist. And I'm just like waiting for somebody to come and be like, you're not an epi, like, take that off her like nameplate. But yeah, it's just really weird. Cause I, I don't, I like have it on my name thing, but, and then a couple of years later, we all decided that these were, these didn't make any sense. Like, why did we have these? There was people who were none of the three. And so we took them off. So yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. Well, so then, <clears throat> given that, you know, epidemiology is just so siloed in some ways, I don't know, maybe not siloed, but people have their yeah, environmental epidemiology, pharmacoepidemiology, and then social epidemiology, which my question to you guys is, is social epidemiology just population health? Yeah, yeah, totally. It is thousand <laughs> percent. It's the same thing. And actually, that, it's funny that you say that and listen these things out because I'm during this conversation, I realized that I hadn't separated out kind of like epidemiology from population health because I don't ever interact with these other kind of like arcane, like environmental, clinical <laughs> epi. Like it's like, oh, those are just people that exist somewhere far, far away from me that I never really interact with. So understanding that that's like even attention or those distinctions are drawn in epi, I just thought it was all social epi and therefore all population health. Yeah, I would say rarely, if ever, for sure. It's mm -hmm. I mean, it's very quantitatively focused. It, it's almost like it's almost yeah. I think I think the qualitative side would be dismissed, not or at least in some in many occasions, not necessarily justifiably, just because most people don't 
don't lean that way in terms of their their work orientation. So it would be less interest generally to the people who are attending those kind of epidemiology focused meetings. Yeah. I wonder another another thing that we just build on this this distinction or noting these different distinctions between epidemiology and, and population health is the role of theory and and thinking mm -hmm. about history and how history is involved in the production of determinants of health. So I'll put Mike on the spot. I know you've got a paper on redlining and historic redlining and how that affects, you know, different aspects of contemporary health outcomes um, and some mixed results there, right? Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm just kind of curious about how, Gassan, how, how do you all think about the role of, mm -hmm. of social theory? Um, so putting our big, you know, elbow patches on <laughs> think about these uh these philosophical things um so I was, that's how i always think about theorizing about different social phenomena um what role does this theory play in the the minds of epidemiologists from your perspective and and in that if you if you've noticed or in your experience think about um how you know social or historical factors factor into um, how you explain what's happening in the world around us. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I have thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> so in, in terms of theory, <laughs> yeah, so in terms of theory, it, it, if you're kind of oriented more toward kind of, I'll use causal inference kind of area as an example, there's a more of a focus on theory in the sense that it's interested in, in what we can even quantify in the first place and how we can quantify it and more about the limits of our inference, which I think is interesting. Um, so for example, you know, just like posing that question in the first place, like can do are the data we have and the tools we have have the ability to address this research question and what are the limits of it? And things like, I'm trying to think of a, a good example, like, does a counterfactual even exist in the first place? And if not, then what's the point? Um, and in that regard, you know, so to, to build onto the redlining example, you know, I, I know some people doing redlining work, my wife, actually, for example, um, but, and she calls herself an epidemiologist, well, it's a total aside, just an aside there, just pointing that out. Um, um, but there's no counterfactual to redlining in, in, existence really right. right because redlining happened in communities of color period that's that was the whole the whole process it was a fundamentally racist process and the idea that there's a a natural or very straightforward counterfactual doesn't really work and people have kind of like talked about this in epidemiology but in in ways that i find somewhat unsatisfactory um but those those theoretical considerations are there and then in terms of history we suck at that i mean we just <laughs> history i mean it is just not acknowledged in any meaningful way in a lot of epidemiologic work and you know it, i always think about this when i was at unc i had the opportunity and really an honor to um to learn a little bit from steve wing who was a great researcher and I think one of his contentions, and this is, or one of the points he always raised or thought about, you know, when people talked about social epidemiology, and I'm, I'm taking it to an extreme, I think, and, and not 
I'm not quoting him, I'm not necessarily paraphrasing him, but the way I took it was that social epidemiology shouldn't exist as a field because it should just be everything. Mm-hmm. Like it is fundamental to what we do, like the like understanding the context, understanding if your research matters in the first place to a certain community, asking communities to to kind of guide research even. I mean, all those things kind of were fundamental. And I feel like, you know, people mm. cap social epidemiology into this, like it's a specialty. And I'm like, no, it's everything. Right. It is the it is the basis. Like if you don't even have some kind of social epidemiology because mm. we have, to have that area of training, then you just you just don't even have the context for the work you do. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. I'm sort of having that debate in my department where my class, which is the only social epi class, isn't required for a doctoral students. Same here. And I don't I'm like, like that. Same. I don't like that. And I'm like, <laughs> but how? How? And then a lot of them are like, we do work on race disparities. And I'm like, how, sirs and madams, if like if there's <laughs> no, if you've never taken a class on racial inequity, you know? So yeah. You know. Like these genetic epidemiologists, I'm gonna be quiet because they're gonna hear me. But you know, I'm just like, <laughs> how, y'all? How? So, yeah. Yeah. What What is the in y'all's departments? What is if, if you can say it on <laughs> a podcast that everyone will hear? Um, what is like kind of the 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 counter to that being like? Oh, well, if your position is like, oh, we should teach our students basic social epidemiology. Like, what is the no? We don't need to do that position of an argument. <laughs> Yeah, it's not great, right? It's like they're already taking so many classes. We can't possibly I fit see. together. And we're a methods heavy department, right? So they take a lot of like, uh, they get trained in all three areas, health services, biostats, and epi. So as long as you took your basic like two series epi series, and then you take a health services research series, and then you take a biostat series, it's like we can't possibly train mm-hmm. the students who are in epi to like take a more sort of social epi class. It's like, oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, um, yeah, it's interesting, right? It, it does feel like it's spread as specialized. Well, I'll tell you, in our, in our, in our school, it's a little bit more um, specialty focused, but for example, in the kind of general methods, I, I think there's a push, or at least I believe one of the requirements is and I, I have I have to refresh myself on this, but I've, I've heard in the past, and I've seen this in other places where you have to have like fundamentals about like biology and things like that. And mm. my head, it's like, why? Like, what do I need to know about biology to understand that like an earned income, income tax credit is probably a good thing? What biology do I need for that? Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, like yeah. That, that's the biomedical orientation, right? Yeah, like there yeah. are the people, and, and again, this is not, I'm not trying to disparage any sub area. I think it's all important, but there's that area that focuses on that and that's cool, but it misses the mark on the other kind of things that epidemiologic tools, which overlap again with sociological tools and econometrics tools, like there's, you know, there's it misses the mark on those things totally yeah just put in a paper got some reviews back from on a health paper about life expectancy for uh to a general so our general science journal and we got like some epidemiology reviewers um and it was like kind of 
a bigger point about how life expectancy disparities get spatialized and how they kind of like are distributed across communities and looking at some of the mechanisms and one of them was just like extreme kind of like housing costs um, being kind of like kind of a predictor of a kind of um, a short in life expectancy, right? And so what like one of the reviews was like, but what's the, you know, like what's the mechanism? They were really yeah. kind of being like, let's get very narrow on the biological mechanisms. And it was just like, is it important to kind of like, do we really need to be like, like, like get that specific or is it enough to say, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like extreme poverty kind of, I don't care how it happens. <laughs> I can think of a million ways that it can happen, but we know at this point that extreme poverty operates through all these different kind of actual biological pathways, right? And that like a, a unwillingness to kind of give up or not give up, because like you said, it's important, but just like kind of like putting so much weight into kind of like training around identifying that biology is maybe the biggest difference that I see between uh, kind of pop health and epi. I don't know if everybody else feels the same. Um, yeah, or other, or even better, what are some other kind of like points of uh, a kind of divergence in kind of our training? Uh, because otherwise I think they're very, very similar, but uh, there are these weird points of difference. Yeah, that's probably a big one. Like I even think a lot about, okay, what is the biological mechanism for all of the things? Like, I think that was really trained in me or like ingrained into me. Uh, and TBH, I think I make a lot of it up because I don't even understand the <laughs> biology. I just like, you know, but yeah, for sure. I would, I would say that. What else? What else are we trained? I, I'm just like thinking of like the three of us, right? Like Darren and I were sort of similarly trained, but different. And then Mike, you're different because you're a little different. Yeah. Um, we, again, we didn't talk about biology at all. It's like, huh. <laughs> forget it. Yeah. <laughs> forget like it. Did a bit. Yeah. 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 I think, I think when you go to programs that are a little more of that risk factor focus, which are a lot, then probably that biological training is more kind of emphasized, but yeah, I, I certainly didn't have an emphasis in my training. At least I don't feel like I had an emphasis on the kind of history and, and the kind of more population health side topics. What does theory training look like in an epi program? Like, do y'all sit down and say, let's pop open marks and let's go, like, start, <laughs> let's start reading? Or is it just like, I don't know, stress is a thing. I don't know. <laughs> let's keep moving to the methods. <laughs> well, well, to be fair, um, like at Michigan, we did have in our epidemiology department social epi and as a, as a group. Um, and there was also population health courses inside the, the social mm -hmm. group. Um, so we would hear from all the known people that that folks, they spread out all over the country now. Um, and we talked about theory. Um, part of that is because some of the folks who ran the Pop Health Center, um, our group, were sociologists. So people like yeah. House, for example, um, were talking about social theory. So we didn't go down to Marx or Weber or anybody like that, um, that Mike would know and, and love from, from those sociological theory courses. But we did place an emphasis on 
what is theory how is it useful why should we even care about having a framework so we can understand these social phenomena so while we didn't get well versed in and say uh a specific theory we did talk a lot about stress and coping um so like folks like Arlene Geronimus for example thinking about weathering and and how the accumulation yeah. stress over the life course could quote unquote get under the skin and affect a wide variety of of health outcomes um so there's folks like that or or George Kaplan thinking about these broader you know social environmental factors um but again a lot of these folks were not like hard caring epidemiologists either so I think that's one of the I guess for for better or worse um having that breadth and that transdisciplinary um perspective really did help to set that at least those courses and that, that particular subgroup apart I think it was theory light for sure but mm -hmm. it was I would maybe theory with a good lowercase t as opposed to a capital t yeah. yeah, I think that's generally what we do. I mean, sometimes, I, I, again, it depends, but yeah, we definitely talk about like Jeffrey Rose, sick yep. individual, sick populations, but then also like the Bradford Hill criteria and now yep. the causal inference kind of fundamentals, like what are the, what are the violations of making causal inference? Like those things are there mm. and depending on where you go, they may be emphasized a little bit more or less but it just, it, it's very program dependent. And that's actually one of the things I was gonna ask you all is how unified is the training in population health in the first place? Because I mean, for us, for epidemiology, it depends on where you go. It's a hundred percent where you go what, in terms of how you're thinking, how you'll come out thinking about certain, either like what epidemiology is, oriented toward or what it should be oriented toward how to interpret evidence in the first place like all the kind of stuff is just so focused in or at least so determined by where you trained in my view that it, it just makes such a huge difference but I don't know it, it, like, like physics is that the case for physics I mean yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe like yeah. I don't know but for population health the same thing no, that's a huge question. I think you're absolutely right, though. I think so much of it depends on where you train. Um, like, you can always tell, and this is, I don't want to wade into, like, controversy jumps <laughs> on where we start calling out how people think <laughs> where where they train. But you can tell. You can totally tell where people come from by the types of questions they're asking and how they're looking at the world and trying to explain different phenomena Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot, like if you were an incoming doctoral student or an aspirant and trying to figure out where you want to go, that stuff is now on the website. There's no way to really figure out like how you'll come out, what brand, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, which makes me feel dirty saying that, but what brand of yeah. Yeah. pop health epi person you'll be when you come out on the other side. I mean, even at the same institution, I know Daryl, Daryl not at the same place. You walk across campus from yeah. one place that studies public health that won't be named, but I just said it. And then another kind of department that like is invested in a lot of ways in studying population public health and couldn't be more different in kind of like how kind of they approach it. Um, and just funding structure, just everything across the board. It's just like 
might as well be in completely different universes, right? And then that only multiplies when you kind of start getting across institutions. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there are anything that's very standard across it, but there's a ton of variation uh, to be sure. definitely there's camps there's definitely camps I felt the camps when I was in my department like oh I'm not, <laughs> not part of that crew I'm part of this crew and like yeah oh going back to the theory question though useless theory that I have in my head now is all of the like behavior change theories if you want to call them those like theory of planned behavior the health belief model I mean what are all these oh they're so bad they're so bad like cringe <laughs> There's just these like these the interventionists, maybe it's like psychologists, I don't even know who came up with these, um, which are all these like theories of like how people change their health behaviors, right? Or just like behavior in general. And so I learned them in my master's program and then again in my PhD program. And we teach them now, and everyone's just like, these are bad, but we continue to teach them. Yeah, they're just. Yeah, I have books and books on them. Yeah. Daryl's nodding like knowingly, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what to do about that. Um, I mean, we've we've had challenges with these theories for a long time, but I always tell people theory is not theology. So, yeah. so to, you know, to, to yeah. investigate how these theories don't work and they won't work for certain populations because they're not taking time we talk about epidemiology but i would say the same thing for a lot of health behavior interventionists is that if you don't take into account the context in which people are living and the history there and whatnot the interventions that people will develop are superfluous like they will not meet the mark and that's what we've seen in, in years and years and years of research is that there's not a grounding in the reality in which people live. And I think more recently, like I would say over the last 10 or 15 years, there's more of a, a social determinants focus, but it's, it's late arriving. Like that should have been like square That's one. one. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Um, yeah. We should bring in like a bread and butter interventionist into a podcast episode and just like see what they say, you know? Oh, wow, I I have no idea what anyone's talking about now. This is shocking. <laughs> this is shocking. Okay, this is more reading to add to the list. Yeah. Oh no, no, don't read it, Mike. Just save your time. Just like it's, not, it's not like it's not like measuring people's head and something, and seeing if they're capable of behavior change. We're not talking about that old school. Okay, all right, all right, all right. But these are very very spicy hot takes, though. Um, okay, so yeah, yeah. The, they're very. Sp- hot takes that that um we're providing on on yeah, the fields on the field fair enough so to bring a little levity million dollar question for everybody if you could go back knowing what you know now and get trained in a different discipline or if you're one of those it's going to go get your second phd uh what do you think you would have done it your original training in or get your second phd in Gasan, why don't we start with you as our guest well, I think the I think the answer a lot of epidemiologists end up giving is that they train in biostatistics because they get paid more to do the same thing. <laughs> Not really at all true, but I think sometimes people say that. Um, gosh, I don't know. 
maybe demography demography sounds dope yeah. I, I was really interested in demography i mean like i i don't know if she was trained in demography but um a researcher who i learned from at unc beverly rockhill who i think is now beverly levine it was i think she trained in demography and a lot of her work was super cool and i was like man that's a way that's a way of thinking about things i like that way of thinking about things which was much less of the risk factor kind of oriented thinking. So it would be kind of cool to pursue that, I think, if I were to just pick something off the top of my head. But I, I've never, I haven't really thought about it very much, honestly. <laughs> That's a very good answer. I support that. <laughs> right, of <laughs> course. The life table side, you know. <laughs> oh, life tables. Uh, Mike, what about you? I don't know. I guess I'm in two minds. First, I would probably choose something like physics. So it's there's no variance in anything, and you just get to everyone likes you and respects you, and it just seems like a really good life. Um, but if I had to stay in the social sciences, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty happy with demography, but I may I may go like social epi. Like I really love kind of this theoretical kind of like conversations. Uh, the field has about kind of counterfactuals and kind of like causal inference and like especially now like all the kind of modern takes on that and it's like well can we actually even identify anything under these classical assumptions how do we change it that's all real fascinating stuff and that's probably where it would go if i stayed somewhere in social sciences social health sciences but definitely physics to be cool yeah yeah totally yeah. string theory and stuff yeah <laughs> Daryl, what about you? Uh, definitely sociology. I think I probably, if I had to do it all over again, I probably would have done a joint degree. That's why I ended up being off, talked off the ledge not <laughs> to do um, when I was about midway through my program. Um, but I do wish I had thought about that on the front end. Um, so that's probably what I would do, yeah. Another strong choice. <laughs> <laughs> and Rachel, what about you? Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I think I would have gone. Okay, many. I have too many. I asked, I posed this question. <laughs> okay, too many. I think I, I really wanted to go into advertising and marketing when I was like 18. I maybe would have sold my soul to the corporate devil. But I think more realistically, if I were stick, sticking and doing what I do now, I, I think I should have done a social epi program instead of the health behavior program that I did do, but I didn't know what that was until much later. Um, or history. I think I really could have gotten down like classic history um, and linked it to some of the stuff I do now. Cause I think I appreciate learning about what happened in 1927 that shaped the random policy that we have now. Like that's mm -hmm. always so fascinating to me. And I wonder if I could like flip it as like an actual but like historians don't get jobs and like, right. they're like I don't know. Yeah, I you know, about, it's the reality. Of job. Oh, no. It's bad. It's so bad for them. Yeah. But you, but if you go to the conference, you ever see how like historians are always like the cool kind of like yes, mysterious they dress the best. They have the yeah, best yeah, 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 yeah. I it's would take fine. that over anything. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I think I'll amend my answer and say, I would probably do something like, uh, what was I thinking just now? Not journalism, but yeah, probably so. Maybe maybe a little bit of sociology. I really, 
I have this like fascination with how horrifyingly racist the education system is and i was like i was like if i could just go and work for nicole hannah jones yeah (laughs) do whatever she tells me to do and work with her i'd be golden i think that i think that would be the move i i would just i would just i would just relish that kind of position and stay there for a long time yeah i'll take this podcast now as a ghost for christmas past type thing to be like (laughs) advertise it to kind of incoming students like look at all these accomplished people that are like I wish I could go back and be a sociologist right like this is what we need to get our numbers up yeah. there you go For sure. you all are welcome <laughs> <laughs> yeah cool, cool. well this has been really fun um it's not, we really appreciate you um taking the time to talk with us today and um sharing your perspectives Obviously, we have a lot of overlap. There's some distinctions too, but obviously, everybody wants to be a sociologist at the end of the day. So, yeah, apparently, <laughs> but no. we really appreciate you, and uh, and especially jumping on in the middle of the summer. No, I appreciate it, and uh, unfortunately, it's unfortunate Brian couldn't have been here as well because I think I would have enjoyed hearing his take on all these things as well. But he's home taking care of twins with COVID as a. Basically, everybody is taking care of somebody with COVID or has COVID at this point with the BA5 variant or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. Well, nice to talk to y'all. See you next time. Yeah, that was great. See Thanks. you next time. <laughs>